This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. Series of Unfortunate Offenses, Part 3. Intermission is over. Valentine's Day is done. And we have reached the back half of a series of unfortunate offenses. Very vociferously have I vouchsafed these vexings, but valuable issues, though at first they may have seemed virulent, vicious, and vitrolic, I hope that you thus far vigilantly listened and seen the value in them. Whether we mean to or not, offenses are formed when we acknowledge gaping and unavoidable breaks in someone's character that wound us to the depths of the deepest depths. Like someone who chews with their mouth open or doesn't like our obviously amazing posts on Facebook. But I soberly warn you that the offenses we'll be discussed tonight are on a much larger scale. Oftentimes, offenses are deliberately and contemptuously fashioned, and other times we may not even realize we have formed them until the words just kind of come out, much like when you hit send on your 13th forum post that week for politics class. But that does not mean that these offenses are harmless, no. It is said that offense is the bait of Satan, and don't you think he'd love to trip you up and have you not even realize it? He's certainly one to work behind the scenes and manipulate, and doesn't much care if he's the number one trending topic on Twitter. The enemy does his best to work in the shadows. So today's offense can be extremely hard to talk about, not only just for myself, but just in general. It can be a tough offense to talk about. It is particularly tough for me to talk about, both in that I'm a leader, I am your pastor, and also in that I have suffered the fate of this offense, and I have acted upon this offense, and I have sinned in accordance to this offense in the past. And so it's still kind of a sensitive subject with me, and so it can be a tough topic to talk about. And so I want to just get it out there again for the third time in as many weeks that Jesus tells us offenses will come. You're not immune to offenses. What is different about us and non-Christians are how we deal with those offenses, how we react to those offenses, because the offenses are going to come. Jesus himself told us these offenses are going to come. Life isn't going to be easy. It's not always going to be perfect. And so people are going to do stuff that's going to offend us. And so it is our job to react appropriately. And so tonight, if uh, we can continue talking about these offenses, and if we continue to go through the offenses and, and continue to seek them out, I'm hoping that you guys won't fall into the same mistakes that I've fallen into in the past. And so I'm hoping that you guys can learn from my mistakes and stay in obedience to Christ and not obsess over the offenses that may or may not have even already happened. So two weeks ago, we talked about offenses of those people who are close to us, when someone really close to us offends us and moving past those offenses. Three weeks ago, we talked about offenses of people who are uh, against us, people who we disagree with, people who might be viewed as our enemies. 
Tonight we're going to continue in talking about offenses, obviously. But this week we're going to talk about an offense that, that tends to hurt us a little bit more, tends to hurt us a little bit deeper when we are offended. And these offenses are people who come from leaders, pastors, fathers, um, people in authority over us. And so um, oftentimes it hurts so much more because of the authority that they have in our lives. So because the ones that can offend you the most are usually the ones that you have the highest expectation of. And so oftentimes pastors and, and uh, leaders and teachers and father figures and mother figures and actual fathers oftentimes have the most amount of expectations placed upon them from us. And so when they screw up or when they offend us, whether the offense is real or not, we tend to react and take that offense even more uh, harshly than we would even sometimes our best friends. And so it's natural for us to have those high expectations of leaders and those in authority over us. It comes natural to us. And so um, today we're going to be talking about the story of David and Saul. And now because of the story of David and Saul, I can't just read one passage or one uh, very long passage of the Bible in order to summarize the whole story. I'm going to try to do my best to uh, skip and, and go through the story as best as I can so that I can get all the information to you as accurately as possible. And so starting out, we're going to start out talking about David. Um, scripture tells us that, uh, oh yeah, Scripture tells us David is actually the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. His father was Jesse, who was a sheep herder. Um, he was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so Saul, who was the king of Israel and Judah at that point in time, angered God. He did something that offended God. And so God removed his blessings on, uh, upon Saul as king. And so God wanted to remove Saul as king. And so it's also known that David, um, about this exact same time, David then was anointed by a prophet to be the future king of Judah and Israel. And so the prophet goes in and he, uh, he anoints David that David would eventually be king and that he was God's chosen one as king. Years later, Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. Saul then sends, um, sends people out to go and find somebody to help him with this. The person he chooses is David, and he has David come in, and David comes in and plays his harp for Saul. David, playing his harp for Saul, casts the, the demon or the evil spirit out of Saul. And so Saul then continues to have David play his harp for him um, whenever that the evil spirit would come upon him. Eventually, Continuing in the story, fast-forwarding a little bit, David takes out Goliath. We're all very familiar with the story of David and Goliath, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that. But David takes out Goliath, and this impresses Saul. And so Saul takes David in, and eventually David becomes a great leader within Saul's army. Eventually, David, or, yeah, David as he goes out and he's fighting the battles, one day he comes back as a leader in the army, and the people are chanting in the streets, and they're saying, um, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This upset Saul. Saul was a, an angry, gen, uh, prideful man. And so um, the, 
the bitter feelings towards David began really right there. He began to get prideful, and he began to want to, to take out David. And at about this exact same time, um, the Holy Spirit left Saul and went to David. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't on at all believers like it is today as Christians. It was among select few. And the Holy Spirit left Saul and went upon David. And this scared Saul. And as Saul got scared, his, his fear then was manifested in anger. And so he got angry at, at uh, David. He got so angry at him that he went like crazy. Like, I'm going to try to pin you to the wall with a spear crazy. And he began tripping out. So David is in like, all right, peace out. I'm out of here. And he takes off and he goes into hiding. Tries to get as far away from Saul as he possibly could. He goes into exile and he's in exile in all these caves. And uh, I mean, come on. He's, he's, He's in exile and in these caves because his leader is trying to kill him. Like, that's intense. Just the, even thinking about that. Somebody that he looked up to and respected and was under the authority of is trying to kill him. And so, continuing in the story, after years of, of hiding, Saul then eventually finds out where David is, finds out that he's in a cave, and he goes and he brings 3,000 men to try to kill David. So not only was Saul crazy and angry, but he had power. Could you imagine being in David's place? Like, just think about it for a split second. Could you imagine what it would be like to have a leader trying to kill you? Like, period. Having a leader trying to kill you. And then multiply it by the fact that your leader had 3,000 men at his disposable in which he can bring with him on a, on a journey to come to the cave you're at to try to kill you. Like, how would we react to that? How would I react to that? I know sometimes your boss can be a jerk at work, but that's nothing on this level. I know Reuben can be kind of harsh sometimes when you've got a small group, but for real, I don't think he's done anything that severe. At least I hope not. If Reuben's tried to kill you, please text my wife and tell her that Reuben has tried to kill you. But for real, none of us in here have, I sure hope, have never had a leader like that. I mean, it's pretty safe to say there's, if there is, there's maybe one of you in here who've had a leader that's tried to kill you, let alone has had the disposable of an army in order to do it. And I also want you to keep in mind here that Satan didn't put David under Saul's authority. God put David under Saul's authority. It wasn't the enemy that did it. It was God that put him under his authority. And so continuing the story, eventually, like I said, Saul and his men find a pool in this cave in which they, they believe David's at. They, they find this pool, and they take off all of their armor, whether they were taking a bath or relieving themselves or just resting. Either way, they took off all of their armor, and they were completely disarmed. And at this point in time, David and his men are in the same cave, clear in the back, and uh, hiding from Saul. David's men at this point in time try to convince David to go and kill Saul because this would be the perfect opportunity. They're completely unarmed. They're just laying there. They're good. They're out. Let's go kill him. 
And David, David, instead of going along with what his men said, he's sitting there saying, someone turned my leader against me. How can I get him back to me? He's not thinking, hey, I need to take this dude out. This leader has gone AWOL. He's jacked up. He's going to try to kill me. I need to take him out first. No, he's thinking, somebody turned my leader against me. How can I fix this? And so, taking another quick break here from the story. You guys know that there are good leaders, there are okay leaders, and there are bad leaders. God still gives his authority upon all of them. God's authority still rests with good leaders, still rests with okay leaders, and still rests with bad leaders. God ordains all levels of leaders to be in charge of us sometimes. And scripture still tells us to submit to that authority. Because God doesn't make a leader bad. A leader still has free will to choose whether he's going to be a good guy, an okay guy, or a bad guy. God puts his authority upon him, and God still gives us free will, and we can choose to be good leaders or bad leaders. As your pastor, I can choose to be a good pastor or a bad pastor. God still, uh, still ordained me to be in charge of Chi Alpha either way, and it's my choice. God didn't make me good or bad. And so continuing the story, David is contemplating what he's going to do, and he's thinking, what did I do to make Saul hate me? What can I do to get him back to me? What can I do to get back in his good graces? And that's, (laughs) some things in life aren't fair. And sometimes you never did anything in order to make somebody hate you. And right here we're in a situation where David didn't do anything to make Saul hate him, but Saul still hated him. Sometimes you're going to have leaders that have no reason to hate you, and they're still going to hate you. It happens. And so Saul, trying to prove his innocence, goes up, or David, trying to prove his innocence, innocence, sorry. David, trying to prove his innocence, goes up to Saul, and he cuts a little corner off of his rope. Basically, he's trying to say, I could come up to you, and I could take a corner off your rope. I could have killed you, but I'm not going to. And so now we're going to read in Scripture to continue, and so you can see what happens next. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 5. 1 Samuel 24, verse 5. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. All right, verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master and the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. When Saul left the cave, he went his way. I'm just going to linger here for a minute. Think about it. David cut off a corner of Saul's robe to prove he didn't want to hurt Saul. And even that little teeny tiny insignificant action to try to prove his innocence made him feel guilty. Man, that blows my mind that David could be that loyal and that on track with what God has for his life that even such a little thing as cutting the robe off of Saul's or cutting a little corner off of Saul's robe made him feel guilty 
Like, I, I, I think about it, and I'm like, how much worse have I done to leaders? And my life wasn't even on the line. Like, how many times have I gossiped about a leader or, or talked crap about a leader or tried to, to thwart the authority of a leader? And there was literally nothing on the line for me. And whether that leader is a teacher, a parent, a pastor, a small group leader, these are people that God puts in authority over us in life. Making their position harder on purpose, throwing them under the bus, maybe talking crap about them behind their back, gossiping about them to your friends, is undermining their authority. I have people even in authority over me within Chi Alpha. I still submit to their authority. You guys will submit to authority with teachers, bosses, pastors, whoever it may be in your life. There's still people who are in authority over us. So let's keep reading verse 8. Then David went out to the cave, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, My Lord King. When Saul looked at him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave, and some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11, see, my father, he's still calling Saul, my father. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. I'm going to read that again. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sometimes the Lord still judges your leaders, but it's the Lord's job to judge them, not, not ours. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. At this point in time, Saul then basically says, man, David, you are so much more righteous than me. And he takes off, and he leaves David be. He doesn't kill David. That's a big win, right? And David won. Yeah, David's, you know, holding himself back. David won right here. But then two chapters later, Saul's at it again. David proved his worth to his leader. His leader recognized it, left, and then literally two chapters later, Saul's at it again trying to kill David. Could you imagine how frustrating that would be? Like, dude, you did it. You proved your worth. You proved your innocence. You made sure Saul knew you were innocent. Even going to the point in which you, you, you felt guilty as to how you did it, but you proved your innocence to him. He recognized your innocence, and then still, not much longer after that, is trying to kill you again. I can't even imagine what that would feel like, how burdensome that would be. So this next time, Saul's trying to kill David again. This time, Saul got extremely close to David, and as he, he gets extremely close to David, and he's extremely close to finding him, 
God then puts David and all, or not David, sorry. God then puts Saul and all of Saul's men under a deep, deep, deep sleep. And at this point in time, David's men were like, dude, you proved your innocence to him. You proved you were innocent to Saul. Dude, you're innocent. This dude's still trying to kill you. You proved it. You proved your worth. He's still trying to kill you. He's going to keep trying to come and kill you until you kill him. You need to kill him right now. And David's like, no, I'm not going to have any of it. And David actually tells his men to stand down. His men were wanting to kill him, let alone David killing him. David's men were wanting to kill him. And David told his men, stand down. Don't destroy him. Who can lay the hands lay their hands on the anointed and be guiltless. And so David's saying, man, you guys are guilty of stuff. Who, couldn't, who has the authority to lay hands on one of God's anointed? Man, that just shows David's heart. I mean, that shows who David really was to me. That shows David's personality far more than anything else I can even fathom. Because when the world was collapsing around him, when death was on the verge and and everything seemed like it was just going downhill, it's going to get worse and worse and worse, he's still holding true and saying, no, I'm not going to take out this guy, this terrible leader, this terrible person in authority in my life. I'm not going to avenge, or I'm not going to get revenge, and I'm not going to take him out. I'm not going to take him out before he takes me out. He's saying, I don't even care if he kills me. I won't lay a hand on him. But not only that, the way I see it is, David was still willing to serve Saul. Even after all of this, David was still willing to serve Saul. He still respected Saul's authority in his life. He still referred to him as my father and my Lord. He still recognized his authority after all of that. And how many of us would use Saul's attacks on us to justify our rebellion against Saul? I know I would. I mean, I, I, I know my heart. And like I said, I've done worse to leaders and my life wasn't even on the line. Now, what you've heard up until this point is an extreme case. If you have ever found yourself in a situation much like the one mentioned with David and Saul, I will personally get you in touch with a publishing company so your story may be placed into the hands of every Christian around our literate world. But chances are the offenses you've dealt with have been much far or have been far less dramatic, though they most assuredly, assuredly may not seem like it at the time. In com- uh, comparison to David, some of the problems we have had with a leader may now resemble a plastic bag caught in a tree. At first, your attention is stirred, and you think, how unfortunate. That certainly doesn't belong there. Somebody should do something about that. But as soon as you pass by, you forget all about it and continue on your way to Buffalo Wild Wings, if Shadron actually had a Buffalo Wild Wings. But I digress. A lot of times, we feel like we have incorruptible proof of an incompetent leader being incompetent. And so, since we are clever enough to find their faults, of course, we should be the ones to bring forward the proof for reproof. But then again, Don Quixote believed himself to be a knight 
and set out to rid the world of evil and battle giants. But in reality, he was just attacking windmills. This is a stern warning now to be more discerning than he. This is an invitation to, if I have offended you, put your swords back away and don't attack me yet. If I have frayed your nerves, this next moment is yours to relish. I would like to most heartedly now relay a story of my own in which it is less pleasing, less than pleasing to me, but begs telling. So, if you please, do your best to relate, take it to heart, and do not triumph too much in my discomfort. I can remember a time in which I was a student and I didn't understand what my pastor was doing. I didn't understand where he was going, what what he was wanting to do with Chi Alpha. I was a student in Chi Alpha, this very Chi Alpha actually. We hit a point in time where uh, it seemed like Chi Alpha was really healthy. It was probably double the size it even is right now. We had, I believe, anywhere between 12 and 15 student leaders. I mean, it, was, it seemed extremely healthy looking back on it. Um, Courtney and I were both among those leaders. And it got to the point where us leaders, and I'm not going to say all of us, but it was like maybe all but one of us leaders, got to the point where we were talking crap behind our pastor's back and gossiping about our pastor and, and uh, saying horrible things behind our pastor's back. And we kind of disguised it as we were trying to fix Chi Alpha, things that our pastor should do and shouldn't do. And then at our leadership meetings, our pastor would give us a moment in which we could share about things that we thought should change in Chi Alpha. And we would use that opportunity to just rail on him and say, this is something you need to do. This is something you should do. You should do this. You should do that. You should do this. You need to do this. Dude, Chi Alpha would be fixed if you just did this. You need to do that. I mean, it would just, we would rail on him in that point in time. And like I said, it, we justified it as we were trying to fix Chi Alpha. Whether what our pastor was doing was right or wrong, we were in the wrong. I want to promise you that. We had no authority to say the things that we were saying. We had no authority to bash our pastor the way we did, even if it was for the betterment of Chi Alpha. We had no authority, and we were sinning. And I, like I said, I was among these. What we were really doing was hardening our own hearts towards our pastor. We were coming up with things that our leader needed to do, things that he should have done, and when in reality, all we were doing was hardening our own hearts towards him and her. Again, it literally doesn't matter if your pastor is right or wrong or your leader was right or wrong. Going behind their backs, even if it's for the betterment of the organization, does nothing but separate you between them. Eventually, God dealt with us. One day, we show up to our leadership meeting. It was about this time of year, actually. We show up to our leadership meeting, all 12 to 15 of us. I can't remember exactly how many there were. And right off the bat, our pastor sits us down. He says, all right, there's no more leadership. You were all kicked off. Boom. No leaders. No small group leaders. Every single leader kicked off a leadership. Didn't matter if they were guilty or innocent. 
Every single leader, gone. You're done. This isn't healthy. This isn't improving Chi Alpha. This is making Chi Alpha worse. It is better that we don't have any leaders than having what we have right now. And our pastor is straight up, no leadership. Done. Then, boom, that was it. No explanation, no nothing, just you guys are done. You're off of leadership. You're kicked off of leadership. Of course, we were upset. We didn't understand why the pastor was kicking us off of leadership. He didn't give us an explanation. He didn't tell us why. We knew why, but we were upset. We were angry. And so then we began to rebel against our pastors even more because we understand what they were doing even less. And all of us would gather behind the scenes and gossip about our pastor and talk trash about our pastor and how, how dare he kick us all off of leadership. How does he, does he even know how to lead? You know, it, it's his fault that we were even behaving the way we were behaving in the first place, trying to place the blame on him when in reality we knew it was us. And then one day, man, the Holy Spirit just convicted me hard. I mean, straight up, just floored me. The Holy Spirit just straight up told me, you are sinning against your leaders. You are in the active, proactive act of sinning against your leaders by even sitting in this room and listening to what everybody else is saying about your pastors, let alone engaging in that conversation. And like I said, I was floored, dude. It sucked. And so it took me a lot of time. Eventually I got to the point where I grew, and I got to the point where I finally apologized to my pastor. It took me a long time to get up the courage to apologize to him and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry for the way we were treating you. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I'm sorry for talking trash about you behind your back and, and, and trying to tell you how to do your job. It sucked. It was one of, if not the hardest conversations I have ever had in my entire life. That conversation sucked. Because it's going up to a leader and telling them, I screwed up. I recognize I screwed up. And I completely understand why you did exactly what you did. It was tough. God then convicted me and told me I was leading a small group. God didn't release me from being responsible for them being shepherded. And so Courtney and I continued leading our small group at that point in time. So we continued leading our small group without the authority of Chi Alpha, without the authority of leadership, without the title of being a leader. We just did what the Holy Spirit was asking us to do. And eventually our pastor got to the point where he could trust us enough. And the next year, it took a while, but eventually the next year he allowed a few, a very, very few of us former leaders back on leadership. Pretty much the only ones he led us back on leadership were the ones who went and apologized to him and, and continued to show that we still wanted to put forth an effort in caring about Chi Alpha above ourselves and our own pride. Not everybody got back onto leadership. I'd say it was probably less than half, wouldn't you say? It was less than half. So if it was 12, then it would be less than 6. If it was 15, it would be less than 7. And there were a few, just a select few brand new students who hadn't been on Kyle or on leadership before also joined on leadership that next semester. And some of the people who are on leadership who were trusted by the pastor and said, 
hey, I trust you to lead these students to Christ and to disciple them. Put a lot of trust into them. He put a lot of trust into these leaders, and their response was continued rebellion. And so as a result, they never once stepped foot on leadership again. These were people who loved Jesus before all this went down. They were close to Jesus, and they just continued in this sin and continued in this rebellion. And to this day, I don't think any of them are pastors or leaders in their churches or anything. I can't think of a single one that that found their way back into leadership still to this day. These are people that like being leaders. They liked it for the wrong reasons, but they liked being leaders. And I was one of those people, like I said. Because would we rebel against our leaders and we judge our leaders, whether through gossip or forced actions, we are basically telling God, I don't agree with you. I'm going to take over from here. When we undermine and and undercut our, our leaders, we're telling God, I don't agree with you. I can do this better. I'm going to take over. When we gossip, proclaim our disagreement or our distaste toward our leaders, we aren't just undercutting them. We aren't just undercutting the leader. We're undercutting the entire ministry. If you gossip about me, you're gossiping about Chi Alpha. If you gossip about Reuben, you're gossiping about Chi Alpha. If you gossip about a single one of the small group leaders, you're gossiping about the organization as a whole. Because what you are doing is you aren't just undermining the pastor or the leader. You are undermining and causing chaos in the entire ministry. Because you don't just cause damage to that individual. You cause damage to the whole organization. Everything goes down with it. And so I want to put in a disclaimer here. And I think this is a very, very important disclaimer. If you have a leader that commands you to cause sin or to sin, you do not have to obey that leader. And that is the only example of when you don't have to obey a leader. Someone in authority over you is when they command you to sin. Do not sin because someone commands you to sin. That is the one example Scripture gives us in which we have an out from obeying leadership. If someone wants you to bow to them as the authority above God, you don't do that, obviously. And there's definitely a ton of examples in Scripture in which people were told to sin and they undermined their authority and did not do what their authority told them to do because they did not. They were not going to sin for a leader. That is the only time in Scripture in which it gives us permission to undermine our authorities. Because I can look back at times in which I had good leaders and I had bad leaders and I had okay leaders. And I can tell you that as a Christian, I grew the most, believe it or not, when I was under a bad leader. Because it challenged me. It grew me. It got me over my own pride. But I only grew under a bad leader when I was still subjecting myself to their authority. When I was rebelling and I was causing chaos and I was gossiping and I was trying to undermine that bad authority, I didn't grow at all. But when I subjected myself to bad authority, it's still authority. And I honestly can tell you as a Christian, I grew the most under bad leaders than I did good leaders. And I know that God put me under that leadership in order to grow me 
and to advance my walk with Christ. And I know that he put me under that leadership on a purpose or for a purpose. Because when you take a step back and look at it, it becomes painfully obvious that half the reason we take so much offense to those in leadership and authority above us are because we tend to put too much expectation upon them in the first place. And like I said, my, my, my pastor at the point in time in which I was rebelling against him, it doesn't matter whether he was in the right or wrong. It wasn't my authority to um, undermine him. But at the same time, off, I would say the majority of our problems, 90 plus percent of our problems we had with our pastor at that point in time were because of the expectations we had put upon him and her. I like to think about it like this. You've got a victory platform. You guys know what a victory platform looks like, right? So you've got fourth place is on the floor, third's a little bit higher, second place is over here, and first is up here. I think about it this way. When we have people in our lives that aren't Christian, who we don't really know, they're not close to us, they're strangers, they're in the fourth place spot. They're, along, they're among the ground, they're among the crowd. We put ourselves in the third place spot, oftentimes with other Christians around us. And then we put second place, those people who are extremely close to us, some of those people that we looked up to in life. And then we put authority on first place. That's how much we expect out of them. We expect this much from leaders, this much from people we look up to, this much from ourselves and, our, and some of our friends and other Christians, and this much from people from the world. So when somebody from the world does this much, it doesn't offend us because that's what we were expecting out of them. When somebody that's a Christian does this much, we're a little bit offended because they did less than we expected them to do. When someone we look up to does this much, we're that much more offended because we look up to them and we expected this much, but we got this much. And so when someone who is in authority over us or a leader does this much, we have four times the amount of expectation upon them, so we're probably going to have four times the amount of offense that we're going to take upon them. It's our choice to be offended if a leader does this much. God can deal with them on their own. God's going to deal with an authority. God's going to deal with someone who's a bad authority over our lives. But that judgment has to come from God, not ourselves. And so it, we cannot be offended just because somebody in authority of us does this much. We can't expect too much out of them because we take ourselves down with them when we do. Because then we commit sin in order to expect, or just because we expected. The greater the expectation, the greater the offense. I've said it here, I know for a fact I've said it here, and I'm going to say it again. If you don't forgive those who have offended you, even leaders, especially leaders, then you have forgotten what you did to Jesus Christ. I know that kind of cuts sometimes. But if you don't forgive those who have offended you, you've forgotten what you've done to Jesus Christ. Or as John Bevere says it, a person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they have been forgiven of. 
Because as a Christian, if you're a Christian in this room, man, it doesn't matter how bad the things you have done. Jesus Christ can forgive you of everything you've done. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the amount you've been forgiven of is huge. And so keep in mind, I'm talking about all authority here, not just ministerial. But because we are in ministry right now, I want to humbly set myself before you and say, if I have offended you, I don't care what it was. If I have offended you truly, deeply, seriously, I apologize. I'm sorry. If I've screwed up and I've done something wrong and I've slighted you, I don't care what it is. I'm sorry. If it has affected your walk with Christ even a little bit, seriously, passionately, it breaks my heart and I apologize and I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And I truly, truly mean that. If I have offended anybody in here, I am sorry. If your small group leaders have offended you, just keep in mind they're still learning as well. They're sorry. Will you please forgive them? If your old pastor, teacher, father, mother, or other person in authority over you has offended you, I don't really care whether they're sorry or not. I care about you. Will you please forgive them? I care more about you than any offense that you could possibly hold against somebody. To hold that in and just let it fester and boil and infect your life. Will you please, please forgive them? Because Jesus Christ has forgiven us of an unforgivable debt. Jesus Christ has forgiven us of an unforgivable debt. It's time that we start acting like it and not hold burdens against other people. We need to get over ourselves. We need to get over our ego. We need to get over our pride. We need to recognize that we don't know everything, that we can learn something from someone even if they're a terrible leader. There's still something we can learn, even if it's learning to do the opposite of what they did. There is still something we can learn from everyone, no matter their flaws. And we need to show a little bit of loyalty and a little bit of respect to those who God has placed in authority over us. If someone who doesn't go to Chi Alpha, for example, and this is just for example, if someone who doesn't go to Chi Alpha, even if they used to come here at one point in time, begins to bash Chi Alpha, have some loyalty, stand up for it, and, and stick up for Chi Alpha. And be like, dude, I, I understand your problem. Just recognize, you know, they're flawed too. Give it another shot. Whatever it takes. I remember when I was a student, people used to bash Chi Alpha like crazy. I mean, it, got, it was getting bad. Like people all over campus were talking trash about Chi Alpha. And I remember there was a point in time in which I didn't defend Chi Alpha. I just kind of was like, I'm going to avoid the conversation. But I can remember how much more God grew me and how much more um, God affected the lives of the people that I was talking to when I would defend Chi Alpha. Eventually, those people, some of them would eventually come to Chi Alpha and give their life to Christ. Simply, and I hope, or not I hope, but I have a little bit of, of feeling like maybe the reason why they did was because even though they were my friends and they were bashing Chi Alpha, I still stood it with it. Because in American Christianity, we have been prostituting ourselves out to leaders that God hasn't given authority over our lives. We are submitting ourselves to leaders 
that God hasn't ordained us to be under, all for the sake of getting our ears tickled. All the while, church-hopping ourselves right back to infancy in our faith. How many of you would agree that Paul was a good, God-fearing, spirit-led leader? Show of hands. How many of you guys would say that about Paul? Not Saul of the murdering David Saul, but Saul eventually becoming Paul. Paul? Man, if I think of anybody in Scripture that was a good, God-fearing, spirit-led man, I would think of Paul. He eventually goes on to write most of the New Testament. This dude was a servant of Christ. This dude served Christ even to the point in which he was in jail for it. Even Paul had churches that he planted come against him with harsh accusations that were completely ridiculous. There was even one point in time where one of the very churches that he was mentoring and investing in was coming back at him and and calling him all kinds of different names because he kind of, he avoided stopping at that church when he was passing through. They began calling him all kinds of names. They call him deceitful, fickle. This was a church that Paul planted, and the members of that body were calling them these names. Eventually, those hard feelings reach Paul. Paul then addresses it in a letter, and that letter is in our scripture. That letter is something that we can learn from as Christians how not to treat our leaders. But without going into too much detail, basically, he didn't pass through for very good reasons. And he rebuked them and he corrected them. Because basically the feeling around that play, the, the church, the feeling around that church was extremely hostile against Paul. And he felt like he needed to just jet through there as fast as he possibly could. The, the church didn't understand his reasoning at the point in time. But when Paul points it out, it's like, oh, oh yeah, duh. But meanwhile, they were bickering and, and causing chaos within the church. And Paul had to address it even from afar. In the next chapter, the Paul, or Paul addresses the exact same church and, challenge, and addresses uh, the authority that he has. Let me get, sorry, I didn't word that right. Paul addresses an open challenge to his authority that once again had come from members of that church, one member of that church. Basically, it was one member of the church who didn't like Paul and didn't agree with Paul, and the rest of the body, rather than dealing with him appropriately, just let him keep doing what he was doing, and he caused insane amounts of chaos. Paul then had to rebuke them, and it says in there, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you. Saying their indifference and their silence made him, or was basically saying that he was justified in what he was speaking out against. Their silence justified what he was saying against Paul, even though it wasn't true, and even though all it did was cause divisions. So to conclude our story, I'll finish with my conclusion about my relationship with the former pastor here. Once I quit getting offended and stopped gossiping and stopped talking trash about my pastor, stopped um, rebelling 
no matter how it looked, once I got over that and I, and I began to respect him, whether he was ever in the right or wrong, whether I disagreed with him or not, once I got to the point where I was respecting him, me and him got very close. We got close enough, in fact, that over the years after that, and I do say years after that, I got close enough to him that he entrusted me with his baby, which was Chi Alpha. He entrusted me with this ministry when he left. He asked me to take it over first and foremost because of how close we got after I got past my pride and got past my rebellious stage. And we became very close. And I can tell you now that I'm, I'm still close with this pastor. And I can tell you now that as the pastor, if I could speak back to my old self back in the day, I would have slapped him so hard and told him to get over himself so fast because I had no idea the amount of stress and, and tension that goes into being the, the leader of Chi Alpha. I would have checked myself faster than I could even think about because I didn't have a clue what he knew. I didn't, I didn't have any idea what he had been through, and I didn't know where he was at. And so tonight, I'm not going to ask you to apologize to anyone or anything like that. We're not going to make a big scene in here and, and make you go up and, and mend your offenses with each other or within, uh, with other leaders. But I'm going to ask Reuben to come up and put a little mood down. And I'm going to ask you to reflect, do some self-reflecting. I'm going to ask you to do what I would have wished my old pastor would have asked me to do before it got too late. And I'm going to ask you to do some reflecting. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to begin working in you to do some healing. Whatever that needs to be, I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to work in you and begin healing you and healing your relationships with authorities. And like I said, this isn't just me, Chi Alpha, Chi Alpha leader authorities. I'm talking all authorities. I'm talking teachers, uh, father figures, mother figures, um, parents in general. I'm talking pastors, former pastors. I'm talking any teacher you've had along your entire life, any person who's been authority over you in which you undermine them and, and undercut them and rebelled against them. I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to point those relationships out to you. And then I'm going to ask you to ask God for forgiveness in them. Like I said, I'm not going to ask you to go and talk to the people or anything like that. I don't want to make a scene here tonight. But I'm going to give you guys about five, ten minutes. I'm going to ask you to pray that. And I want you to seriously pray it. Don't just assume I'm in the wrong or I'm crazy or I'm a bad leader or I'm talking directly to you and I created a sermon just to preach at you because I didn't do that. I've had this sermon planned out for months. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you change your attitude accordingly to your, towards your leadership, no matter what the offense. Because remember, we forgive because we remember how Jesus has forgiven us. So I'm going to pray, and then like I said, I'm going to give you guys like five minutes, five, ten minutes to pray on your own. Holy Spirit, I ask you to search us. I ask you to show us the offenses that we hold on to. Because 
it said that offense is the way to Satan. And I don't want Satan any foothold into any of our lives in this room. So Lord, I just ask you to show us our sins against those who you have put in authority over our lives. And Lord, I just ask you would please help us to forgive them. Let's spend a few minutes praying on your word.
just because I don't, I don't need to know. I, I don't need to know if, if you've undermined me or undercut me. I think I speak for the small group leaders as well. I think I speak for Courtney as well. We don't really care if you've undermined us, undercut us, got us something about us, anything like that. We forgive you. We don't need to know the details. We just want to move on because in reality, man, this life is too precious and too important to spend time worrying about sins people have committed against us. But then at the, the next level, you know, as I stand here and I'm standing in front of you and I'm telling you to respect authority and, and to, uh, to fall in line within authority, that also as, as a pastor, I'm, I'm not telling you that you need to just take my word for everything I say. You don't need to, to just say, if, if I preached it, guaranteed that the Bible says it. In fact, I actually am challenging you the exact opposite. Every word I preach in here, I challenge you, line it up with Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, come and talk to me about it. Let's correct it. But you have to find it. I'm not going to find it for you. And at the same time, everything I say in here, it doesn't matter what I, or everything I say in here, like I said, I want you to continue learning about it within Scripture. I want you to find the reference points I referenced. I want you to read 1 Samuel. Read about the story about David and Saul on your own. Read in Corinthians about Paul and his dealings with the church. Inform inform yourself based off of what Scripture tells you, not even necessarily what I tell you. You don't have to take my word for it because even though I might have authority over you within Chi Alpha, Jesus Christ is still your ultimate authority. The Bible is still more of an authority than you. And so you need to do your diligence to know what the Bible says. You need to do your diligence to talk to the Holy Spirit, talk to Jesus, talk to God, and figure out what he's saying in certain situations. And you still need to hold your authority, or you still need to to submit to his authority first and foremost. Because I am not saying that I speak for God. I am not saying that I know exactly what God's doing in your life or what's going on in your life. You need to seek the Holy Spirit on that yourself. But I am saying within Chi Alpha, within this organization, I am in an authority position. The small group leaders are in an authority position. Courtney is in an authority position because of the fact that God has made us responsible for you. When we die and we go to heaven, we will be held accountable for you and your walk with Jesus Christ. And so everything we do, we want to get you closer to Christ. Period. And anything other than that, if I cause you to stumble, if I sin against you and I screw up, man, I am going to be judged by God. That's why scripture tells us that teachers will be judged double. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for teaching and correcting. We thank you that even though we screw up, we make mistakes 
as both leaders and both or and followers, as people in authority and as people under authority. We screw up, we make mistakes, but Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross and you've forgiven us. You've wiped us new, you've made us clean. And so Lord, I just pray that as we leave here today, we could somehow find it within ourselves to forgive the way you forgave us. To not hold offenses against other people because you don't hold our offenses against us. I just ask that we could love the way that you love. That we could see our brothers and sisters on this earth the way that you see them. That we could have a passion like we've never felt before in sharing about you to them. That we could love because you love. And we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen tell you guys, I love you guys. If you step foot in here, I love you. Seriously. I care about you. I care about your walk with Christ. These small group leaders care about your walk with Christ. My wife cares about your walk with Christ. We genuinely do care about you guys. Thank you. So, in closing, since somehow you made it through this week's intense showdown of intense offenses, I want to warn you, next week will be even bigger and infinitely more important, both in size and in magnitude. Surely you won't wish to return.